Hey, what's up, Ron? Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. Good. Um, okay. I uh, I wasn't sure if I could use an iPad for this, so. No, it it only works. I've learned this the hard way already, like a couple different times. So it only lives only work for some reason on um, on the cell. I don't know why you can't also join a live like on your desktop. I'm pretty sure it's an easy easy way to program it in there, so it still all works, but. It is what it is. I'll message Mark after this and let him know. Let, let him know what's up. Okay, so um, so welcome on. Um, I'm going to do a quick intro and then I'll just kind of let you take over because I'm interested about hearing about your story and navigating the medical system and the insurance system and all of that because um, it is a concerning topic. And honestly, a lot of pretty much I would guess I'm, you know better than me, but probably 95% of people that ended up getting cancer never thought in their life they would get it. You know what I mean? It's one of those things you're like, well, that does happen often, but it's most definitely never going to happen to me. And uh, before I let you take over, I'm just going to do a quick introduction. So Rob is a group, uh, for those on the live today, Rob is a group member as well. He's not a former client. I usually do interview uh, former clients here, but I wanted to mix it up because a lot of people in the group do have interesting journeys with their health and challenges. And a lot of times just hearing their story can help, um, you know, if you do run into the same challenge and hopefully you don't, can help fast track your recovery by not making similar mistakes or just by knowing a system or a way better that could kind of get you from A to B a lot faster. So you guys, I know with cancer and just like with a lot of other health issues, the most common thing is People are like, well, it's never going to happen to me. You know, I'm never going to have a heart attack, although close to 35 to 40% of Americans die from a heart attack. You know, I'm never going to have a big one too, is I'm, I'm never going to have cancer. But I mean, let's look at the stats, you know, around 50% of Americans develop cancer within their lifetime. So next time you go to lunch, let's say it's you and uh, three other friends, like two of you out of the four will develop cancer. Okay. And then Typically, half of the people, like roughly half the people that do develop cancer, end up dying from it. And those statistics are based just on a five-year time span from when they first were diagnosed with cancer. But at least from my finding, there isn't that much research available in terms of what happens after the five-year mark. So if a person made it to five years and three days and ended up dying from cancer, it's not counted as a death uh, from cancer. That person is still considered um, fully recovered or well. And, you know, as a result, around 610 to about 650,000 Americans, depending on your source, end up dying from cancer every single year. And that's with that five-year uh, five statistic as well. So I'm pretty sure if you extend it over the life of the patient, uh, I'm pretty sure it would go up as well. And I know, like I said in the beginning, and this kind of drives me nuts sometimes, is people are like, well, you know, it's, it's never going to happen to me. I'm going to continue to eat poor, work crazy hours, not manage my stress very well. But in my opinion, like uh, not even in my opinion, just you can look up on PubMed.gov, a study of prevalence of optim uh, optimal metabolic health in American adults. And you will see nine out of 10 American adults right now are metabolically unhealthy. 90%, okay, which opens up to, which opens them up to a myriad of, uh, myriad of health issues throughout their life, including increasing the chance of developing cancer by a tremendous amount. And also like another good, good study is that like, you know, about 50% of Americans or a little bit more than 50% of Americans right now are either full on type two diabetic or pre-diabetic. Okay. So 
in terms of like, I'm healthy and it's not going to happen to me. Uh, I'll be honest with you. It's extremely rare to find a truly healthy individual in the U.S., especially like, for example, when I was giving a lot of corporate lectures, it, it's almost impossible to find a very truly healthy uh, and balanced individual like working a corporate job, for example. So although a lot of people might not think this would most likely not happen to them, the chances are because of the way people are living these days is, is actually uh, pretty high. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let Rob take over if he's ready. Uh, if you need to do something as well, you're welcome to. And um, and I'm going to try to keep up. So I'm very interested in his story. Rob, please introduce yourself and kind of take over from there. Yeah, thanks, Eugene. I appreciate it. Um, that was quite an intro. You really did your research. Um, so, yeah, it's it's super interesting. It's like, you know, it's like a lot of things in life, right? You What's the old saying? Um Life is what happens when you're making other plans, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, yes. you know, that's absolutely what happened with me. You know, I, I, uh, I was, um, you know, one of the reasons I'm in your group is because, you know, I'm uh, very interested in fitness and I worked at a private gym back at that, at that time uh, here in Hollywood. And, you know, so I, I was surrounded by fitness and you know, it's like what you were saying about not really expecting something like that to happen. I mean, that's the last thing you expect, especially if, you know, you're going to the gym four or five days a week. With me, I was working, uh, you know, I was working out. Uh, I, I didn't just have one trainer. I had two. And, you know, and we were, you know, we were sort of focused on different things. And my diet was pretty good. I actually had a uh, um, a little meal prep company and uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm Italian, so, you know, cooking's in my blood. And and uh, and so I would cook for people and obviously myself. I'm vegan, um, been vegan for 13 years. So I, I sort of had everything lined up where, you know, it was, it, it was even easier for me to say, oh, well, this is never going to happen to me. I mean, you know, look at how, look at how healthy I am. Look at all the things that I'm doing um to prevent it and you know sure enough <laughs> boom one day you know one day uh, and i'll just tell you briefly how it all uh transpired was you know one day i started feeling uh some pain in my shoulder Rob, i'm yes. so sorry not to interrupt uh, i want you to continue but uh can you by any chance uh not tap on the table because oh, the, mic, sure. the mic is picking it up i don't know if that's going to make it tough for you to yeah. talk because i'm very kind of uh I have a lot of movement when I'm speaking too. So, uh, but just yeah. so the audio is a little bit more clear that yeah. way. Absolutely. Sorry. Anyway, about sorry um, to interrupt. Please continue. Um, so yeah. So one day my, my shoulders and my back started feeling bad and you know, that's not uncommon when you're doing deadlifts and things like that. Um, that sort of thing happens. And you know, I had a chiropractor that I would see pretty regularly and uh, I went to her and she, cracked my back, but it wasn't helping. Um, and also, the other thing was that the pain was in a different place than it normally would be, right? If I, you know, overdid it with uh, deadlifts or squats or something, the pain would be in my lower back. Um, but this was up here. It was up in, mm. you know, in my shoulders. I thought that was weird. But, you know, again, I didn't think much of it. And what ended up happening was um, 
I went out one day with my dog. That's what you probably heard barking a minute ago. Um, and he's, he's, a, he's like a puppy. He's, he's a boxer. So, you know, he's automatically crazy. And, um, you know, he sees another dog on the street, pulls on the leash, and boom. That's when it really got bad. So I ended up at, uh, you know, urgent care. They found that my blood pressure, you know, because obviously when they do an intake in urgent care, they're going to take your vitals. My blood pressure was at stroke levels. So they rushed me to the hospital. And, you know, they, they were, you know, nobody could sort of figure out what was going on until obviously CAT scans and all of that. So uh, it turned out I had a tumor in my neck, inside my spine. So that's, you know, that's, that's how it transpired. But man, I'll tell you, you know, hearing that news that, you know, you have cancer, the thing that, the thing that struck me almost immediately was, um, okay, you have two ways that you could potentially deal with this, right? You could do what I think a lot of people do, which is they sit back and they go, oh, you know, why me, right? What, you know, why would this happen to me? I'm doing all the right things. You know, everything I was saying. Or you could sit back and go, you know what? I'm just not going to, I'm going to beat this. And I'm going to make sure that I, you know, I'll do everything my doctors tell me to do. And at the same time, I'm going to try to have the best possible attitude that I can have, um, uh, you know, for the process. And so, you know, that's what I did. You know, I did my doctor, I'll never forget, my doctor uh, came in and told me, you know, sort of what the treatment plan was going to be. And he said it was going to be four to six rounds of chemo, right? But, of course, uh, what do you think I heard <laughs> when he said that? I heard four. I didn't hear the six part. And so, you know... Obviously, what ended up happening was I get to the fourth round of chemo, and he's already talking about the fifth. And I'm sitting there going, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You know, we already determined there's no cancer left. Everything looks good in the, in the, in the test. So why do I need to have a fifth? Why do I need to have a sixth? Um, and, you know, and I was upset by that, obviously. Um, but, again, it forced me to... Think again about how, you know, how I can choose to deal with this, right? It, it felt like a setback. And, you know, that sent, seemed to be the whole theme of this whole thing was that it was, it, it ended up just being one big setback. Now, the good news about it, um, I, I know this is going to sound weird, but it actually turned out, you know, all of this happened in the height of COVID. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that actually turned out to be a good thing for a lot of reasons, right? Because it was kind of like I was already not working that much because of COVID. You know, I was sort of doing, you know, I'd lost my job like everybody else and and um, trying to do, you know, things here and there. Um, but, you know, what it, what it meant was, you know, I was getting assistance. And so, you know, I, I remember thinking, geez, you know, if if this had happened at any normal time, you know, I would have been screwed because I didn't have like, you know, I I was always the one, you know, when you go, when you talk to your HR department and they're talking about, 
you know, spending this amount of money every paycheck on disability. I was like, eh, what do I need that for? Right? I'm never mm-hmm. gonna get. Um, so, you know, it it ended up being <laughs> not the case. So in that way, I really really lucked out. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's essentially what happened. And you know, ultimately mm-hmm. after that, it was really you know, all about recovery and kind of coming back from that. I, I, you know, this all started in December of 2020. So, you know, I'm technically recovered, um, but, you know, in in a lot of ways, I'm still bouncing back from it um, in, you know, in just about every way you can manage. Well, when the doctors gave you the diagnosis of having the tumor, did they give you any other options outside of chemo or is chemo like the go-to plan uh, for pretty much all cancers these days? Yeah, no, they, they, they didn't. I mean, it was kind of weird because, um, you know, the first person I saw was actually a radiologist. Um, so this was somebody who was talking about radiation. And then the oncologist came in and he was talking about chemotherapy. And, in, you know, in some ways, looking back at it now, it's kind of funny. I, I, feel, like, um, I feel like the oncologist kind of won that battle just out of sheer will, right? Like he was the more sort of aggressive, the more like, no, 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 this is, this is how it's going to go. This, this is what we're doing. And immediately took charge, took, you know, complete control over the, the plan, whatever the plan was going to be. And, and so radiation became like, oh, you don't need that. <laughs> so, you know, it's a little, little strange, something, again, I wasn't expecting. But yeah, yeah chemother- chemotherapy won out. And it's a good thing it did because, you know, ultimately um, that's what saved me. Well, can you go over kind of your experience of getting chemo, if that affected your health or what you noticed uh, during the process? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, chemotherapy is not what it used to be, right? You know, everybody thinks chemotherapy is this horrible thing where, you know, you're going to lose your hair, you're going to be sick all the time, you're not going to be able to eat, all of that kind of stuff. Well, the hair part turns out is still true. I did lose all of my hair. Um, but the other parts are not necessarily true, right? I think that one of the things that we forget, um, especially when it comes to our own, you know, health is this like this disconnect between the fact that, okay, we have this impression of what chemotherapy is. um, But then what we're not factoring in is that that impression may have been formed 10 years ago or 20 years ago, when you first had a family member or something going through chemotherapy. And in the meantime, 10 years have passed, 20 years have passed. And, you know, technology has kept up, uh, science has kept up, and, and things are different than they were back then. So, you know, I, I, I was told by the oncologist, I'm not sure if I believed him at first, but it actually turned out to be pretty true. I never got sick. Um, I was eating just fine. In fact, I was eating too good. Um, because I put on a little weight during chemo, um, which, you know, again, counterintuitive to what I think most people know. Uh, so uh, chemo wasn't that bad. What, what was hard was, um, well, first of all, hearing that I had to go through six rounds as opposed to four, 
that was difficult. Um, and I've got a, I've got a really cool story about how I got through that, but I'll come back to that. Um, but the, uh, the part that was uh, probably more difficult than even the chemo itself was the recovery, right? So it was what happened after chemo. Because again, I think you come into it with all kinds of expectations. Yes. Uh, Rob, how, how do the rounds work? Are they like boom, 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 like back to back? Or they do one and then like maybe give you a month or two, then do another scan, see how the tumor is progressing, then like determine if another one is necessary. Is that how it works? Yeah, so it's, it's three weeks in between. Got so it. the, you know, around, and for me, the way, so chemo is different for everybody, right? It's, it is, uh, it's really all it is is a combination of drugs um, and a good oncologist sort of knows, you know, okay, if the cancer's here and it's at this stage, um, then you're going to get this combination. But if it's over there in this other part of the body and it's at this stage, it's going to be a completely different, you know, regimen. So um, for me, what ended up happening was mine was a whole uh, uh, six days, I believe in a row, right, where I had to be in the hospital for, at least for the, this is all part of the story, both five and six, but um, for one through four, I had to be in the hospital that whole week. So for a week, I was in a hospital, um, and then three weeks would go by with nothing, back in the hospital again. And they would check intermittently or whatever. Um, and ultimately what happened was after the fourth, was when I had the CAT scan to show how I was progressing. And that CAT scan actually showed that the cancer was completely gone. Hmm. And woohoo, you know, this is great, I'm done. No, not so much. Um, two more rounds. <laughs> again, when he said four to six, I was like, okay, so four, right? Because that's what you want to hear. Um, so, you know, for me, it was like, uh, you know, when I heard that it was going to be six, I was very, very upset. And um, but he the, the oncologist put it in, in a great perspective for me. He's like, look, we could stop now because, you know, technically the cancer is gone. Um, or we could do two more just to be absolutely sure, just so you don't have to worry a year from now, two years from now, three years from now that it's going to come back right? Where I can't guarantee that, that that's going to be the case if we stop now. Mm. So, you know, that, that's what made it a little more palatable to go to five and six. But I'll tell you what I did was, and, and you know, this is the thing that I think people also don't really understand about, you know, the, the, the you know, medical industry in this country is you really have to be an advocate for yourself. And, you know, obviously spending a lot of time in the hospital, I was doing a lot of research. And I found out, it turns out that, that the therapy that I was on could actually be done at home. It was a little more complicated and a little more expensive. And um, I don't think the hospital pretty much, you know, I didn't think they liked it very much because, you know, they lose a little bit of control or whatever. But I was like, if this can be done and I can do this at home, I want that, right? Mm -hmm. and so, you know, it sort of was like that was the deal I made with the oncologist to, you know, kind of get over 
you know, having to go through two more rounds. I find, I don't know if you found this with, uh, in your situation, but I find the internet can be like a very easy double-edged sword. Yeah. Because you have like this one very credible expert saying one thing on that same exact issue. And yeah. on the other side of the table, you have like another extremely credible expert uh, saying completely the opposite. I don't know if you kind yeah. of also uh, just ran into that, like, dude, what do I do? You know, do I even need to go through all these? Some people would even say, you don't even need to do any of that. And the cancer will like kind of heal itself or it wouldn't do anything for you long-term anyways, you know? Yeah, I got that. You know, obviously, you know, you get all kinds of um, advice and, um, you know, oh, well, my cousin did this or my uncle did that and this really worked for him and, and all of that. But look, at the end of the day, it's your life and you have to make uh, the decisions, right? It's mm -hmm. like, you know, all of a sudden you find yourself having to put on those big boy pants and really make tough calls for yourself. So at least for me, what whenever I had to do any research online, um, I just made sure that the source was very credible, right? So it was like, you know, American Cancer Society, you know, I, I realized there's political stuff in there. And, you know, so you take everything with a grain of salt. But, you know, that's way more credible than, you know, my friend Joe from Oklahoma and his cousin's uncle, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it, it's, you have to make these calls. And so you really find yourself in a position where you're having to do things that you never had to do, right? I always look at, I always look at wellness, right? So being in the fitness industry, working at a hit gym, private training gym, I was all about wellness, right? Even owning my own, um, you know, meal prep company. Every day of my life, all the research, everything that I was doing was about how to be well, how to stay well, and how to get even better, right? It was never about it was never about, you know, being sick or getting over sickness. That's what, you know, CBS pharmacy is for. You know, you get a cold, you go and you grab some NyQuil or whatever, right? And, and so it was, it was a shift, right? Because now all of a sudden I had to do more research and find out what it meant to be ill. And that was new to me. Mm -hmm. Well, what is, is it? like were you able to work during this time i know you said you weren't working but if a person does have to work i mean like are they able to work while doing all this or well today especially right most people are working from home um so you know if you can kind of get like if, if you can figure out a way to do some of your treatment at home or even if you do have to do it in hospital the hospital has a really good wi-fi network and you know um, so yeah, there's, there's ways of, of working at home, which, you know, that was actually just starting to take hold when, you know, this was early 2021. So, you know, it was like very much in the midst of COVID. Um, and I think by this point, everybody was used to Zooms and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, but, uh, but to be honest with you, it's an interesting question because like, I, I don't know, if it would have been the same, had it taken place a year before or two years before, you know, would my employer have let me work from home rather than coming into the office? But now it's just like, you know, the difference was my 
my background instead of being this for a zoom was you know the back of my hospital bed mm -hmm. so yeah well i presume just like with the healing process i mean it's ideal just to rest completely especially not be under the stress of like a job for example uh yeah. you know not all jobs are stressful but most are pretty stressful for most people and i'm yeah. sure that will lower uh just like the overall health of your immune system and your ability to recover faster not saying you can't recover but i'm saying it's just another obstacle that's staying in your way when that's present yeah absolutely look i at the end of the day i i had you know i had sort of a part-time job at the time i was working for um uh, this local company was like kind of a startup um and you know, I, I, the, the, my boss and I did not get along even before all of this. So, you know, now that I'm in the hospital and, you know, having to take time off when, you know, it wasn't convenient for him, it, it made things even more stressful. So I actually ended up quitting my job. Mm -hmm. But I had the luxury of doing that because, you know, it was COVID and, you know, I could just very easily go back on unemployment, right? So I, I realized that most people don't have that luxury. But look, at the end of the day, one of the things that I realized was that, you know, like I said before, you, you have to become an advocate for yourself, right? You have to figure out ways um, of prioritizing you getting well, as opposed to whatever it else it, it is going on in your life, whether that's work, family, whatever. You, you for, and, and again, that's something we're not used to either, right? Most people take care of other people, right? Um, whether it's kids or you know wives, husbands, whatever. It, it's it, it's in our culture that that's how we operate, and so it's not very natural. I think people would be surprised how hard it is to make that that jump from okay, now all of a sudden I have to take care of myself. I have to put myself first. So in the situation with my job, it was, it, it that made it an easy decision to quit because it was like, well, sucks you know, anyways. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't have this stress in my life and mm -hmm. then expect to be getting well. Yeah, so, I can tell yeah. you've been in the wellness industry when you're talking about putting your mental and physical health as a top priority above any because you, like you said. Uh, you pretty much rarely hear that, you know, maybe one out of every hundred people would uh, kind of follow that philosophy and maybe even fewer would follow it down to the T, like really make it a concrete part of their life. But I always yeah. tell people like, dude, you have to, at the end of the day, if you want anything to last long term and you don't want to be miserable in the process, you have to put yourself first yeah. because if you don't, um, you're just going to go disgruntled in that relationship or that job situation that's not meeting your needs. It might not happen right away, but it's going to catch up to you and happen eventually. And then once that kind of disconnect happens, it's just very, it's very stressful on the central nervous system. And that's going to over time in order for you to cope with that lead to various maladaptive behaviors like poor lifestyle and nutritional choices that are going to lead to various uh, health complications, you know, for some people, it could just be excess body fat. Other people could be heart issues, uh, cancer for some people, even, et cetera, et cetera. But I always tell people, like, dude, you got to put yourself first because uh, at the end of the day, also, um, 
you could only give as much love as you have, you know, just like right. with, with income, you could only give as much to charity as you have yourself. So if you don't have that much to give, uh, it's just not going to work out long-term anyways. But uh, maybe that explains why nine out of 10 American adults right now are metabolically unhealthy. And mm -hmm. they'll look at, I'm sure you've run into this many times, they'll look at you straight in the eye and say, I feel completely fine, you know? Um, just because, I mean, it's kind of a little bit, a little bit mean to say, but I think just pathology has been normalized in our culture, unfortunately. Well, and, and there's also, you know, let's talk about the disconnect there, right? There's this disconnect that exists between, you know, everything that you just said, right? I think in our heads, right, we understand it. We even go, you know what, that, that makes sense. I, I get it. I understand. But yet... It, it it's not I, I at least for me it took something like this to happen to really let it sink in so let me give you an example of that right what you said about the central nervous system right you know I, i've heard that before i heard that before having cancer um but i didn't realize and, and you know sort of when when you're going through chemo and you have chemicals running I think the audio went off on you, Rob. I don't know if you can hear me. Is someone calling? You can swipe, swipe up on them to kind of cancel the call. It's good. We'll wait a little bit. No big deal. Oh, yeah, perfect. Was someone calling? I'm just curious. Was someone calling? Yeah. That happens that? to me too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. For some. Anyways, no big deal. No. Uh, go ahead. So, another reason why they should allow you to do this on an iPad or something. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because you can't quite turn off the do not disturb thing when you have the, the Wi-Fi thing on anyway. So. Right. It makes it difficult. So, But what I was saying was, you know, there is this disconnect you, where you can, you know, especially I'm sure you, you, you understand this as a personal trainer. You, tell, you can tell people things a hundred times, but if it doesn't pair, if it doesn't match with their own experience, they can understand it logically, but it's very hard to let that sink in. So I would hear something about how, you know, whatever, you know, like even, okay, so doing deadlifts, right? Like if you go, if you go too heavy or do too many deadlifts, um, that could have an effect on your central nervous system. I never really, you know, believed that, right? Or... I believed it because, you know, an expert told me that, but it wasn't until I experienced having gone overboard one time, and I won't even go into what the next couple of days were like um, after that, but it was very much my central nervous system had a reaction to that. And it was the same thing when it came to the stresses, the regular everyday stresses, and how they were affecting me. Mm -hmm. while, I was, while I had cancer and while I was going through chemotherapy, everything was heightened, mm -hmm. right? And so I could actually feel those, those the, the types of things that I'm sure you describe all the time to clients, the things to look out for, the things to avoid. I could feel them. They were sort of real time, right? And, and that was a big wake-up call for me. So in a lot of ways, I mean... You know, I learned a lot from this experience. It was, you know, it was great. One other thing I wanted to address, something that you said about, 
you know, sort of, uh, you know, your, your well-being and taking care of yourself. You know, there, there was also the part about um, feeling bad for yourself, right? And I tried not to do that. Like I said at the beginning, I, you know, from, from the diagnosis, from the very day I was diagnosed, um, all the way through the end, I thought, I, I thought I did a pretty good job of staying positive, right, and being upbeat. But when I got that news about having to go through two more rounds of chemo that I wasn't expecting, I mean, I had already, you know, I was planning my life beyond that, right? I was already planning, and now everything was set back for another two months. I was pissed. <laughs> I was upset. And so um, an interesting thing that I did was um, I, I thought to myself, okay, I have to figure out how to get myself out of this state because, again, being in that state, that's a form of stress. Mm -hmm. I wasn't feeling well. And, you know, all of a sudden it was like I was feeling the effects of things um, because I was holding on to that stress. So interesting experiment, which is something that I still do, do to this day sometimes is um, I thought maybe, well, maybe the best way to get out of my own um, experience is to try to help people with their experience whatever their bad experience is. So for me, what that, what that was, was I, I went on Facebook and I started scrolling and, you know, probably every fifth, what was, uh, you know, post was about something negative happening in somebody's life. And so I'm surprised I, that it's only every fifth with you. <laughs> it's like, it's like every right? other one. You're being, I, you know, you're, see, you're being too optimistic now. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but, but what I did was I commented on all of those. And then even got into, you know, messenger discussions and tried to uplift um, these people. And before you know it, I was probably maybe a half hour into this process, you know, this intentional process. I forgot all about it. I forgot all about it. Not to mention the fact that I felt good because I was helping other people and, you know, all of that. But wow, that was that was one of the coolest things that I learned. And I still do that to this day. If I get upset about something or if something negative is happening, you know, <laughs> it's, it's like, there's always something, you know, there's always something either equally as bad happening to somebody else or worse. And you can support that. Right. And the minute you get into that, it, there's no room to remember what's going on with you. Right. So anyway, I, I thought that was that was probably one of the biggest things that I learned out of this whole thing, something that still, you know, goes on to this day. Well, can you talk about um, in terms of like how insurance works and, uh, yeah. uh -huh. and and that kind of background? Because I know like the, the one thing that attracted me from your post is like, I think you took a screenshot or maybe just wrote out the bill for the medical bill and it was like close to a million or maybe a little bit over a million dollars, which isn't yeah. surprising to me. I mean, medical costs can go like from zero to like a trillion in like seconds, you know, and a lot of people don't like factor that in until they land in an emergency situation of some sort. Yeah, you know, it's, it, <laughs> you're right. I mean, people don't realize just you know, like when you get your your medical insurance, right? Your one of the first things you talk about is, you know, what's your deductible going to be, right? Mm -hmm. You know, what your what's the uh, you know copay going to be? All of those kinds of things. 
Um, but what, you know, perhaps you don't think about, right, especially if you're, you know, you feel like something like this is unlikely to happen. Um, what you don't think about is how fast all that adds up, right? The deductibles, the co-pays, all of that kind of stuff. And so, you know, imagine my shock um, getting a bill in the mail for, it was actually just over a million dollars. And, you know, of course, yeah, that's like the ultimate sticker shock, right? And that, and I did have insurance through the whole thing, right? Mm -hmm. I, I kind of started with, you know, okay insurance and then, um, you know, and, but that was in December and so January was coming up and I knew now that this was going on, I, I had better move over to a much better plan, but my premiums doubled. Um, how does that, how does that work if the company knows that you're already going through some treatment? Do they, are they open to giving you like an upgraded program? Or are they resistant to that? Um, well, I mean, since Obamacare, you know, we, it, it's, it, they can't, they can't refuse you. Okay, for, got it. In condition. Um, so it's really a matter of, you know, like, like in my case, I went from, you know, sort of like a, a network plan that was, you know, sort of very in network, everything had to be in network mm -hmm. uh, to something where it was like, I could do whatever I want, right? I could go to any doctor or go to any hospital or whatever. So I went from that limited plan to a more extensive plan, but it was twice the cost. And so I had to worry about, you know, the, you know, the, how much it would cost every month um, without realizing, you know, that like, how is this other stuff going to add up? And I don't know, maybe it's a, an intentional thing on the hospital's part. Like maybe they don't want to burden you too much with the medical bills while you're going through it. So it was like, I didn't get that bill until after. It's like, okay, great. We, we got you, we got you all well and you know, you're cancer free now. So here you go. Here's the remainder, um, million dollars. But again, I, I just, you know, again, one of the biggest things that I'm grateful for is that all of this happened during COVID. And as a result of COVID not working and having sporadic work and whatever, I I ended up, you know, qualifying for all kinds of financial programs to get it taken care of. And so Cedar sinai Hospital here in LA, 100% of it was covered. Um, so I didn't, you know, I, I, I was fortunate enough to not be out of any. But, you know, that didn't, uh, that didn't, you know, that didn't help with the shock that day when I opened that envelope. I'll tell you that much. Do you mind if I ask? I mean, you don't have to share, like, how much was your, uh, like, monthly insurance plan? Just so the audience gets a general idea. If they're looking to also get a plan that would have sufficient coverage, how much they would be looking to pay? Well, so I went from, like, $600 to, like, $1,200. Mm. Uh, because I ended up, you know, I was just like, I need the best possible plan I could get. And also, I didn't want to think too much about it. It was, it's, I just kind of went all the way to the bottom of the Blue Cross Blue Shield website and said, okay, what's the most expensive? That's the one I want, right? Because I knew this was coming up, right? And I knew I had to be as covered as I possibly could be. Um, I was in the midst of the situation, right? I don't think when people are making buying decisions on insurance, 
they're necessarily in the midst of that most mm-hmm. times. So, you know, there was probably something I could have done um, that would have cost a little bit less, maybe would have been more than the 600 bucks a month, um, but not as much as 1200 right? Um, it, and so, again, it's just a matter of, you know, doing your homework and, and finding the right plan. Interestingly enough, one of the things that uh, COVID has sort of changed in the medical world is, you know, there are there are companies now, um, healthcare companies, that sort of act like, you know, because so many people are 1099 as opposed to W-2 employees, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, not getting a regular paycheck um, and getting health insurance through their employer. There's there's companies like Clearwater, for example, um, that work with um, with 1099 employees, right? So if you're like an Uber driver and you're doing that full time, you can work with a company something like like a Clearwater and get similar rates. Now, of course, you know Uber isn't gonna you know subsidize um, your policy in the same way that your employer would, a W two employer would. Um, but you do end up with, you know, sort of those preferred rates because you're in a much larger pool um, to, you know, to get the best rates, just in the same way that employer-based uh, healthcare works. So it's an interesting thing to look into, and I think because a lot of people now are, you know, very much 10, in that 1099 world, right? Um, you hear about, you know, <laughs> um, people leaving, you know, corporate jobs all the time and so i think these things are going to get more and more which means more and more competition better prices etc gotcha well not to um i guess not to bring it up because it might be a little bit negative but have you thought about like the reoccurrence of cancer and any kind of steps you have to take to make sure you keep screening and make sure it's not coming back because I know yeah. like um, that's probably one problem is like, oh, it could be treated, but then, you know, three, four, five years later, it could it could very well come back as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's always a worry. But again, you know, it, it, it is one of those things where the more you worry about things, um, you know, it's it's ironic. The irony is you then make yourself more susceptible to mm-hmm. them, right? You know, you know, worry's not going to help you in any way shape or form so you know look at the end of the day the best thing that you can do is to just follow the treatment regimen and i'm still on a treatment regimen in that i have to go once a year to get checked and you know if it comes back then i'll deal with it at that time right um but you know it's i think you mentioned this is this at the beginning of of the of the live that um after five years, that's when you get sort of considered uh, cancer-free, right? So you're not, you're not supposed to use the word cured until the five-year mark, right? Mm-hmm. You can say remission, you can say cancer-free, you can say things like that, but you're you're not officially cured until five years. So, you know, I just have to go now once a year, um, get a get a PET scan. They'll check to see if it's there, but I'll tell you, I feel great. So, you know, I'm just not worried about it. What's your best guess? I know there's so many variables that lead to cancer formations of various sorts, but 
if you had to summarize your best guess in your theory of why a person gets cancer, um, and I know cancer is a very broad umbrella, umbrella yeah. term too, I'm just trying to simplify it here. What, what's your take with all the research you've done and kind of your best hypothesis? Well, I mean, look, at the end of the day, what, it, what, what, what cancer is, is just, you know, the body producing cells that are bad cells, right? As opposed to producing good cells. Um, so, you know, if you get lung cancer, the, the body's producing lung cells that are, you know, that are defective per se. And if you're one of, if you're like me, if you believe that your attitude, the stress in your life or whatever has a, you know, your nervous system, your central nervous system and how you take care of that has a direct effect on what kind of cells get produced within your body, then the, the answer is simple, right? You avoid stress, you avoid, you know, you, you, you do everything that you can to stay healthy. I mean, of course, there's going to be, you know, genetic um, uh, types of cancer that, you know, potentially are unavoidable. But even then, you can do things uh, mm -hmm. about it, right? You, we've all heard the story of, you know, Angelina Jolie, for example, getting like proactive double mastectomies because she has um, she has breast cancer in her family. Right. Hmm. So it was sort of an extreme step that she took. Um, to, but it's not uncommon. Right. People will do that. And so, again, it kind of goes back to, you know, this whole thing about advocating for your own health. And if you know that there is the genetics that are against you. Um, then figure out, learn the ways that you can be proactive. Now, it's not going to be successful 100% of the times, but, you know, maybe you can push it off for another 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. Get, you know, a quality of life that, you know, you wouldn't have otherwise had had you not, you know, done a little bit of research and taken some proactive measures. And then, of course, you know, it's eat right, get plenty of sleep, um, you know, make sure that you, you're mentally um, okay. All of those things are contributing factors, I believe, to, uh, to cancer. I, it, like, like for me, for example, you know, there was a lot going on in my life at the time when this happened. I honestly believe that um, this was, you know, a stress cancer for me, right? That, you know, because there is, there isn't, believe it or not, in my family, a lot of cancer. Hmm. Yeah. More like heart disease, diabetes, things like that in my family. Like that's the genetic stuff that, you know, my brothers and sisters worry about. Um, but for me, you know, all of a sudden getting cancer was kind of like, wow, that's, you know, so it had to be something else, right? And as much as I was doing um, between working out and, you know, and eating right, um, having a vegan diet, all of that, even all of that wasn't enough um, to sort of alleviate or, or offset the stress factors that I believe contributed to my illness. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. I'm curious, have you ever been confused by the labels in the grocery store? 
In Yevgeny's book, he demystifies the difference between caged, cage-free, free-range, and pasture-raised meats. He also covers how to avoid GMOs, source high-quality water, fish, supplements, and other related topics. It's a beautifully illustrated, non-technical read that comes with a comprehensive video series and other extended learning materials. Jump on Amazon and check out the book titled Anti-Factory Farm Shopping Guide by Evgeny Trefkin. Now let's dive back into the podcast. Yeah, I really believe like uh, the, the two factors that, it, well, first of all, like in terms of what you said and like mastering the basics will dramatically decrease. I mean, World Health Organization just mentioned that like, I think I remember reading a report, just simply not being overweight Meaning mm -hmm. like for a male, like somewhere between, you know, 12, 15% body fat is a good range to kind of hover around, maybe 10 for some people. And simply not smoking, not drinking alcohol, and mm -hmm. also just eating kind of like a whole food organic diet already just decreases your chances of all cancers by 50%. Yeah. So, I mean, just right there, it's like very, very basic stuff. And I'll, Unfortunately, I know you've been in the health and wellness field. A lot of people just say, well, I'm doing that, but well, they're really not, you know, maybe one day out of the week, they really are living true to those principles. But then, you know, they have, they're working like 50, 60, 70 hour weeks uh, under a lot of like financial pressures, uh, eating super, even if they're eating semi well, like during the week, they're eating very poorly on the weekend. Right. Um, most often in the wrong relationships and the wrong occupation for themselves, which increases those micro stressors a tremendous amount. And uh, I know I mentioned this a lot on lives before, but it's like the, the human central nervous system hasn't evolved well to deal with chronic micro stresses in a person's life. And I feel, and especially American society kind of dismiss those. It's like, oh, well, it's traffic, it's annoying, but I can live with it. Oh, it's like uh, an annoying boss, he's annoying, but I could leave, live with it. Oh, my job, it's like super stressful, but whatever, I'll live with it. You know what I mean? Or, you know, especially if you're living in a city, there's inevitably a lot of pollution. That's adding stress to the human body as well. Yeah. Um, then, I mean, look, the average newborn born in a metropolitan area in America is born with trace amounts of 200 different synthetic chemicals in their bloodstream already. And that's wow. just how they're starting life at 200. Yeah. And it's like, um, you don't need a study. <laughs> to understand that it's better right. not to have that many chemicals brewing and marinating your body 24 seven. Uh, and I feel like there's also just a lot of uh, misunderstanding in terms of how safe various cosmetic items are, you know, on the counter, even at CVS, they're like, well, if it's sold there, or, you know, maybe this food I'm buying at, yeah, maybe this food I'm buying at the grocery store, although it's not organic, it's okay. But a lot of people don't understand it's like especially with uh synthetic pesticides which are used on your food like the complete formulation of the products are never tested for safety before right. they're sprayed on your food they just test like the active ingredient in isolation on its own where the mm -hmm. average consumer thinks like well they're taking the complete formulation spraying it on the crop then testing it for safety no man they take the, the formulation completely apart they just take the active ingredient in isolation, test that for safety on its own. But it's silly because the inactive ingredients in the chemical formulation are there to make the active ingredient stronger and more persistent in the environment. So it has a higher chance of killing the pests or whatever they're spraying it on there for. And it's like science is great, but oftentimes 
in the real world, nothing works in isolation. Like in any crop production cycle, you're, the crop is being exposed to a myriad of different complete formulations all at the same time. Not like yeah. just a single active ingredient of one formulation at the same. So a lot of people are like, well, you know, it's like, it's not a big deal. It's tested for safety. And I'm like, dude, it's, it's a big deal, especially when I read those numbers. Like I mentioned, 50% of Americans develop cancer within their lifetime. And nine out of 10 American adults are metabolically unhealthy now. I mean, clearly, it's time to accept that the current system and path of life is not sustainable and not leading to happiness and wellness in, in the American population. And that's it. Just the results speak for themselves at the end of the day, you know? I, I know, I, look, it, I know it's probably cliche at this point, but we really do have a sick care system in this country. It's not a healthcare system. I know we call it a healthcare system, but it's not. It, everything is reactionary. And, you know, and it, and it takes something like this before you really understand just how true that is, right? I mean, just think about, you know, chemo itself, right? All the money, the research, everything, all of the, you know, advancements that have been made, right? to kind of get to where we are. Remember I was talking earlier about how, you know, everybody has this impression of chemo where you're going to get sick and you're going to be in bed the whole time. And it wasn't like that. And it's not really like that anymore for, you know, a lot of cancers. Um, well, that took years and years and years and, you know, probably millions of dollars, billions of dollars in research to get there. But at the same time, how much money was spent in these sort of same, you know, sort of scientific processes that were regulated by the FDA and government agencies? How much money was spent to prevent the cancer from happening in the first place? And when you think about it, it it's so true, right? It, 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 you know, who's putting up that money? It's the drug companies. Who's putting up, you know... Um, uh, you know, who's, who's got the interest uh, to make sure that, you know, there's always plenty of patients and the rooms are full, like, you know, like a hotel, right? You got to have an occupancy rate at the hospital, right? It's a big business, you know, especially when, you know, I'm looking at, you know, six months, not even six months of treatment, it's over a million dollars, just for my part, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's not even including the insurance part. See, it just goes to show you how much money is there. Well, whenever there's that kind of money, there is no interest. Yeah. In moving that, you know, moving to something else, some other system. And, and that's, that's a problem for us. We, that's why we end up reacting to everything and not doing enough to be proactive. So really quick, just to clarify the million dollars, was that, just what you're responsible with after the insurance covered all that other stuff? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, man, that makes it even more terrifying because for some reason, uh, I, I kind of misread your previous post a long while back. I just thought that was the total sum and no, the insurance it, covered all of that. The math, right? Like if, if my copay, right, was 20%, let's say, I don't remember exactly what it was, but probably right around there. Um, then, you know, what's a million, what's, what's a million dollars 20 percent of that's just what my treatment costs right for you know six months just to give you an idea eugene there was there's this shot that you have to get 
um, right after you're done with each round of chemo. And in order, now you're not supposed to get it until 24 hours after, you know, they take the IV out, right? So, you know, you're in the hospital, they take out the IV, there you go. That starts the clock of 24 hours, right? And then in the old days, what would happen is you'd have to go back to the hospital the next day and get this shot. It was crucial. I, I don't really understand too much about the science of it, of why you needed it, but you do need it every, every time after a round of chemo. Well, the technology that they developed, which is super interesting, is they basically made the shot like a robotic shot. So they put this little robot on my, you know, on my arm. They basically just sort of tape it down. And then 24 hours later, you'd hear click, click, click. And you'd get, you know, a little prick into your, into your arm. And so basically what they did was they automated this shot mm -hmm. for the convenience that I wouldn't have to drive it takes me seven minutes to get to the hospital, right? So for me to save that seven minutes drive each way, so let's call it 14 minutes, they developed this technology. That technology, that one shot was $70,000. Seven grand. <laughs> and you have six of them. Yeah, that's right? crazy. So, I mean, right there, and, and it was, and, and again, it is, it is because there's so much money that goes into the research and development, the R&D, to kind of get to, to, to do this. And, it, 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 you know, this, is, this wasn't even like a 100% necessary thing, right? It wasn't crucial. I, I mean... You know, it was really just to save people the inconvenience of having to go to the hospital the next day. It's just crazy how much money it goes into it. And so, you know, if you think about it from that perspective, it's like, okay, yeah, the million dollars really starts making sense, right? Or 20 million or whatever it was. Um, but look, I mean, the original point was that, that we, you know, why don't we put more? Why don't we invest more? into what can be done at the beginning, right? Into, you know, people's mental health so that they don't end up with those stressors that can cause cancer. Into, you know, more like, you know, it, it, there, there was a time years ago where, you know, you might get a job and they'd pay for your, your gym membership. I mean, how many people have that anymore, right? But, but the point is we, only spend a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of the kind of money that we spend on sick care on actual wellness yeah. and you know and and so you know i think that's why a lot of us end up in the situations that we were in yeah i find is i think eventually it's going to be a financial disaster for the u.s especially when i mentioned like nine out of ten americans are metabolically unhealthy can you imagine yeah. the cost? And also when a person's really sick, they're not working and paying taxes. Yeah. There is that aspect of it as well. And I always said in terms of like what you're kind of talking about here, um, 
they're investing, uh, the government is investing, or, you know what, I kind of lost the politics of what exactly is happening with the universal health care coverage. Uh, mm -hmm. But basically, it's like, here's, here's the thing. So first of all, um, this universal health care coverage is extremely expensive. It's extremely mm. expensive, mainly because it just relies on the medical system for treatment, which is like you just mentioned, extremely expensive and right. a symptom management approach. It's just kind of like putting out the fires instead of figuring out how just not to start the fire to begin with. Yeah. And I always thought like, dude, if they just took like a very small fraction of that expenditure and diverted it to thoroughly educating kids elementary school through high school college isn't even necessary in my opinion on at least gaining an expert level understanding of how to use movement as medicine what yeah. real organic food is how to have yep. nonviolent forms of communication how to uh, identify your core values so you're actually living your life in alignment with how you want to live it that alone will just dramatically improve the quality of people's life all together, you know, like how to sleep properly, just how to even identify your core values. So then that, you, that way you can kind of pursue that in your life and get your life to actually mirror those core values, which are a reflection of you. Yeah. And ironically, if they just did that, like almost no one will use the, uh, the, the hospital or the medical system unless it's a real true emergency. So you could actually then have universal healthcare coverage and it's actually far more affordable that way. Right, right. Everyone gets covered and everyone ironically is way healthier right. that way as well. First place and then what you end up with having to deal with from a reactive standpoint it, are the emergencies, right? Car accidents, things like that, right? You know, yeah. So, you know, but, but it, look, it's systemic, right? You know, if you know any doctors, Right, they'll all tell you the same thing about nutrition, for example. They get almost no training in all those years of medical school. They get almost no training on nutrition. And, you know, I mean, with everything that we're finding out now about, you know, carcinogens and meat and, you know, all kinds of the ways that food, sugar, sugar, fat, salt, that whole sort of classic American combination, how all of that has such an impact in our lives. You know, you think going to the doctor, the doctor knows everything about your health and about your wellness. And so you would expect that they'd be able to inform you on how to stay well and how to use nutrition to stay well. They know just as much, if not less, than you do, because you know they've maybe had one class in their entire med school career that was about nutrition. That to me seems crazy, right? Mm -hmm. That to me seems insane, especially when food is such a contributing factor to you know the health and the well-being of people. Right. And so that's what I mean by being systematic. It's like if you're not going to train doctors and you're not going to, you know, encourage them to care or even incentivize them to care about, you know, making them obsolete. Right. Making themselves obsolete. Then you're you're only going to wind up sort of deeper in this hole that you describe. Right. 
and then you know the, the vicious cycle continues so it's not until we change the entire paradigm of how we think about um not just not just sick care but a healthcare and b even before healthcare wellness and staying well and being well and taking on that personal responsibility of maintaining your wealth i mean your health yeah. <laughs> your wealth too but your yeah. health especially right yeah and i find um I find the symptom management model is, is an easy sell because it provides false hope for a yes. lot of people. And yeah. because at the end of the day, I mean, you've been in wellness for a long time. Um, I forgot the philosopher that said this. I think it was Hippocrates or Aristotle, but he mentioned don't provide a cure to a person unless you ask them first if they're willing to change the behavior that led to the problem. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people... I think once they realize like, dude, you have to do this to actually genuinely be healthy, they'll come to the realization like, look, man, I can't sit in front of a computer eight to 10 hours a day and expect right. to optimize my health. I can't keep eating this fast food and drinking alcohol on the weekend and, and buying like the cheapest possible food I can find at Costco, you know, all the time or whatever, anywhere else, you know, I can't be, I can't continue to be in this relationship or this job. It goes back to that disconnect though, right? Until something happens to you, you can think about that kind of stuff logically. It's just, it, it, it's very difficult to make the leap to actually manifesting that and yeah. act living that because you don't have the experience of, you know, of knowing how true it really is, right? that you know how important wellness is how important it is to eat right to exercise to do all of those things it's all it, you know it's an intellectual exercise up until that point and so you know that that's the piece to me that is the hardest i think is how do you get past that disconnect where you can make it um you know make it real real enough that it's going to motivate the change that's necessary. And that's the part I have no idea. I don't know the answer to that. Well, unfortunately, most people just, uh, they'll have to experience a lot of pain in their life before yeah. they say enough is enough, you know? Yeah. That's, that's, uh, sometimes I wonder too, I'm like, man, like maybe I'm just a sissy because I don't know how the average person lives with so much pain in their life 24 seven and is okay with getting up in the morning and having to take like Xanax, three Red Bulls, a coffee, uh, just to have, just to be able to have, have the energy to wash the dishes in the morning. I'm like, right. how can you live like this and find this acceptable? Because it's like, I, um, I like when I was working six days a week, long while back, I wasn't even having serious health complications, but I just didn't feel like I was optimizing my health. And that was enough for me to basically go to three days a week and then eventually go to two days a week, 100% remote. Yeah. yeah. And that was already enough. I'm like, dude, I just don't feel well. I think maybe because once you actually are like very healthy at a certain point in your life and you kind of step away from that, you see that disconnect. But unfortunately, a lot of people these days never even felt that kind of that euphoria to begin with. So they don't even have a reference point, you know? Yeah, that's, that's, you hit the nail right on the head.
that that is the difference the difference is you have the experience of being you know super healthy and you know what it felt like right and and also you know i i would be willing to guess it was a pretty recent experience right so it was you know it wasn't that long before you were feeling bad that you felt really good and because of you know sort of the that uh, that small gap in time um it's 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 even more relatable right cuz like if wellness was like 20 years ago for you it wouldn't be as relatable it to help you to make a change uh when you need to make a change as opposed to it being you know just 6 months ago you were in the best shape and you know doing all of the right things and and you're able to better relate to how you felt at that time mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, I don't again, I don't know what the answer is. Like, how do you get beyond, you know, the, the various levels? I mean, we could probably go all day with the different ways that people get disconnected from the truth. Um, and, you know, I, I guess we have to go find a, some sort of, you know, spiritual guru to figure that out. But, it's, you know, I, I don't know the answer. Well, I think it's far I, I don't know the exact answer myself to side with you on that, but I think it's far more, it's far easier than what people think. So this, yeah. I'm not offering this as a solution for everyone or most people actually, but my grandma raised me off grid in Ukraine for the first 10 some years of my life. And uh, she lived to be 87, basically without ever going to the hospital ever period in full health. And I think her husband died around 15 years before she died. So she was actually taking care of the ranch for her, herself into the late 80s as well. So she was physically fit enough to be able to do that for the most part. Wow, and and I mean, it's very simple. She was like uh, out in nature all day, eating real food, drinking basically just nothing but water for the most part and some teas. Uh, there's very little electricity, almost none. So when it gets dark, you can't even see anything. You're in bed by like 8 p.m. You're sleeping by like 9 p.m. The ideal times are always uh, generally accepted to sleep between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. for various reasons. And not dealing with traffic, not dealing with crazy city pollution, not dealing with a crazy overworked boss that's not healthy themselves and you have to try to impress this person to be able to have your job. And you can't say... Uh, no, no to this person. Well, you can, you know, no one's making you go back to work at the end of the day, obviously, except you yourself. But uh, I think it's just that it's like, if you live that kind of simple life that the human body has obviously evolved, you know, to some million years of evolution, 28 plus human species of uh, human uh, species have come and gone to be able to develop the central nervous system we currently have. Uh, that functions in, in an environment not overburdened with micro stresses out in nature, you know, eating real food. And yeah. I think America is also like very, I think Western society in general is very addicted to complexity. Like, oh, yeah. there's no way it can be that simple. Like all these biohacking experts, they say I have to take 50,000 supplements and but all the- these anti-aging guys, although they look always like 20 years older than they actually are. I don't know how the hell people actually pay them 
for their anti-aging advice, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm like, dude, it's so simple. Like just master the, the freaking basics and do that every day consistently. And yeah. does that guarantee 100% that nothing's in it? No, but it is your best shot at, and it will dramatically decrease your chance of any sort of disease formation ever in your life. And you will be dramatically happier, I guarantee it. It's not gonna solve all your problems, but it will solve a large percentage of them. If you just live close to your core values, eat real food, use movement as medicine, sleep appropriately. If you hate your job, don't freaking work that job. Stop buying shit that keeps you in that job even longer. Uh, yeah. You know, don't nest. It's okay to sometimes use it as a springboard to get to your next phase in life, but don't nest, especially when people are like, they don't like their job, it's stressful, but they try to reward themselves by financially buying in a super expensive car or house. I'm like, no, man, you should be using that, that uh, excess money to get out of that situation, you know, like figuring out a way to. Uh, it's like Europeans who take, you know, they, they take a month off, you know, for vacation, right? You know, unlike us as Americans, we, you know, we're a week at a time at best, right? When we, you know, we go somewhere and then we go to Disney World. Like, yeah, and then you know. I like Disney, man, but they got to do something I, about their food. Their food shit, you yeah. know. You know, Europe's really cool too, right? You know, to go, go, you know, go, go to, go to, you know. I've been to Australia; that was amazing, right? Get out and see the world, right? See how other people live. You know, it's like you were talking about with your grandma, right? You know, there's, there's all these blue zones um that exist around the world where you know it has these are areas that have the most uh centrogenarians right so these are people that are live beyond 100 years and and not just you know numbers wise they live well mm -hmm. for uh, that entire time right kind of like your grandma working on the farm all the way up until you know she's in her late 80s right that that that's these places like Okinawa, Japan, for example, and when you th and, and when you look at their lifestyle, you realize it's exactly what you described, right? They're not in big city environments. They're not, you know, they they have, you know, they're they're basically stress free, right? They live simple lives. Um, you know, you look at some place like like. France, right? You know, there's always the the uh, the big mystery about why the French can eat, you know, tons of the most fatty foods and all of that, and still be, you know, relatively in shape and not you know, have the kind of obesity problems that we have, right? It's the same thing. They 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 just don't accept stress in their lives, right? They don't accept, or or if if, if it does exist, they find ways to move away from it. Whether that means, you know, they go on a, you know, a, a month long vacation to, you know, uh, a beach in Thailand or whatever, uh, whatever it is to get beyond that. And we just, you know, we're not built that way. That's not how we're taught. It's not what we learn. And so, you know, we suffer the results of that. One of them is cancer, but even more than cancer is the degenerative diseases mm -hmm. that people get, right? It's the heart disease, the diabetes, pre-diabetes, which is a huge problem here in the U.S. Yeah, right? almost 50% of Americans are either type 2 diabetic 
right. or pre-diabetic, which is yeah. fucking crazy. And the craziest part, the what, the craziest part uh, is that you chat to these people. They're like, I feel completely fine. I'm like, dude, what are you talking about, man? You're well, a disaster. Fine from their perspective. Yeah, of course. Like before, right? They don't know what real wellness feels like. And so, you know, I can feel, I can be 30, 40 pounds overweight and feel completely fine because, you know, that's what's normal to me. That's my norm, you know, but they don't realize, they don't understand because they've never had the experience of being 10% body fat, right? And, and living a certain way and, and what that, what you get out of that. And that, that's right there. That's what causes the disconnect. Yeah. That's up happening and that's you know that's how we get right back into this vicious cycle right where you know we end up with you know because now we have all these problems that exist in the healthcare world that need to be handled right that need to be taken care of and so you know if that's where the demand is in healthcare and there's there's no demand in keeping people well right like people aren't you know calling their doctor's offices and going, hey, how do I make sure that I don't, you know, contract, you know, pre-diabetes or become pre-diabetic? If there's no demand for that and, you know, everything is, ah, I'm I just found out I'm diabetic, what medication should I go on? Then that's what they give you, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it, it goes into the, the whole economic piece of it too, you know? And, um, and so it's really gonna take a whole mindset shift um in order for things to really truly change and you know that it's it, what you're doing every day you know i'm grateful for that because that is that that's the thing it's it really whenever mindset shifts need to happen it's the things that like you do every day that chip away at that need right and and make that you know highlight it even more Right. So, you know, it's it's good that you're doing what you're doing, because if you can just help one person sort of make that leap from that cognitive dissonance. Right. And make the leap into, OK, maybe I feel well now. I feel OK. But wow, imagine how good I'd feel if I lost 20 pounds. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, that's what guys like you do. That's what, you know, now a lot more people do because of COVID, right? So this is the optimistic piece. Um, more and more fitness trainers are online. They're, they're moving their businesses online, which means, you know, even if you don't have the money to spend on an online fitness trainer, you can still come away with a lot of information that you wouldn't otherwise have or that was, you know, a lot harder to find before, right? And so, you know, you, you just have to make the choice. You have to decide that um, your health, your well-being, your longevity, all of those things are important enough to you um, that you're going to make them a priority. Yeah. And like at the end of the day, like what do you have when you don't have your mental or physical health? Like even if you're like, like for instance, um, I mean, I'm pretty sure it ran through your mind. You're like, well, shoot, if I lose this, I lose everything when right. you're going, when you got diagnosed with cancer, you know? Yeah, it, it ran through my mind, but at the same time, I think one of the things that I did really well was, and, and I do this with a lot of things in my life, 
um, you know, I've had bad things happen to me. And one of the things that I've learned to do is to try to give like, you know, how like TV networks are supposed to give equal time, right, to, you know, each side of the, the political spectrum. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I try to give equal time to what are the potential positives to come out of a negative situation, right? So that's immediately what I, you know, because I've had, I do that so often, when I got the cancer diagnosis, one of the, you know, it wasn't right away, but within the first couple of days, I remember thinking to myself, like, wow, I I wonder what my life is going to be like after this. And you know what, in a lot of ways, this is a good thing because, you know, maybe this creates like a blank. You know what I mean? So, like, I, I was very quickly sort of finding this silver lining. And you would think, most people would say, oh, my God, what kind of silver lining can you find in cancer? But, you know, it for me, it was like the lifestyle changes. It was the fact that, well, you know, I really believe that the stressors that were in my life at the time were what caused the problem in the first place. And this is going to give me an opportunity to clear that away and to start with a blank slate. And I got excited about that immediately, within 24 hours, right, of, you know, once you get past the initial shock and everything. And that, to me, is like, if you could train your brain, if you can train yourself to do that, even when, you know, let's say you get fired from a job, right, you know, I, I'm guessing while, you know, HR is handing you that severance pay, you're not thinking, well, one door closes, another one opens, right? Um, but you that's an, absolutely how you should be thinking, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, my God, this is great. This is forcing me into what's next in my life, right? And that chapter is going to be 10 times better than the last. Yeah. And if we can train ourselves to think in from that perspective, then it's, you know, our logical minds go, okay, well, what do I need to do to achieve that? And maybe one of the things that you need to do is to get well, right? And what does get well mean? Get well is physically, mentally, get enough sleep, eat well. It's all of those things. And so, you know, I, I think if we can, if, if maybe the way to start it, in terms of, getting past that that disconnect maybe the way to start is by finding the silver lining right or in training ourselves to do that because it's not i get that it's not easy for most people to do again i was fortunate because i was already that way but that is not the way most people are right most people just sort of wallow in that you know, woe is me, oh, you know, I can't believe this happened, why me, all of that. They wallow in that, and that just makes things worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know? Have you thought of, uh, have you thought of moving out of the city after all this stuff? Oh, absolutely, I've thought of it a hundred times. Um, and, you know, because I, I know a- personally, LA is like, LA always gave me anxiety when I was driving through there. I never lived there. I lived, uh, the closest I've lived there was like Big Bear, Irvine, those right. those areas. But just driving to hang out with some friends or go to a convention in LA, I'm like, dude, this is already like increasing my blood pressure quite a bit, just like having to drive through this city. You're increasing my blood pressure just talking about yeah. it. Yeah. 
um, no, but you know, for me, it's not, it's not as much of an issue because again, I now work in a job where it's, it's almost a hundred percent from home. Yeah. That's cool. You know, I've, I've built myself a little, you know, a little, a great little nest, you know, my gym's not that far away. Um, and you know, I don't know, I don't, I don't have to go far every day. Right. So I don't get necessarily that, that big city experience, but for, you know, maybe a couple of minutes of, of every day. So I, you know, but yeah, you know, like someday I would love to, you know, I might, I sort of dream about having like, and you know, one of these awesome prefab homes and, you know, out in the desert somewhere or near the beach or whatever. Um, but, uh, but, you know, for me, it, it's like, again, it's making the best out of the situation that you're in, right? And that's what I chose to do, at least for the time being, with my living situation. It's like, you know, I don't have to live in LA. You know, I, I actually sell solar now. And believe it or not, it's, it's almost all virtual because of COVID. So if I have a, a sales meeting, it's on Zoom. Um, so I could live anywhere. I could live in Guadalajara, Mexico, if I wanted to. Um, but it's just, I don't need to. I, I've, I've created, a, you know, a nice little bubble um, that, you know, that, that I can, you know, I can stay in. I've got my, I've got my dogs and, you know, I've got friends and, you know, I, I, I like it here. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, shoot, I got caught up with listening to your story of, uh, <laughs> oh yes. About remote work. I always tell like people, if you could work remotely, like do it, it will, because oftentimes, um, I mean, it varies from person to person, depending on the level of their commute, but you're looking on average of saving like around like five to eight hours a week of driving. Yeah. Uh, and that's more than enough time to like, you need like basically an average person. I'm not talking about like a person that's trying to get to the Olympics needs like 10 hours, 11 hours a week to really optimize their aesthetics and health. It really right. doesn't take that much more time than that, you know, to, to, it's like five hours of workouts and then like five or six hours of all the background stuff to be able to sustain those workouts. And it's like, just by working remote, you free up just that amount of time. So as long it's, as you're in the mindset of taking care of yourself now, all of a sudden you have like, all the time in the world to do it. It takes away that, that big excuse that you hear in the fitness industry all the time, which is, oh, I never, I don't have time for that. I don't have time to go to the gym, right? Or I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to do that. Yeah. I mean, when you work from home, you know, my commute is, I don't know, 35 seconds. Yeah. I like <laughs> how you my... calculated it. Like how many steps do I need to take to get downstairs? <laughs> right. So, you know, I no longer have that, that excuse that maybe I had in the past of, you know, I don't have time for, you know, for hit classes or for, you know, for lifting or whatever. You just, you get all of that back. Yeah. Um, but even more, even more than just, you know, uh, the, what you get back in terms of, of your fitness and having more time for fitness, it's all the other things too, right? We know sleep is important, right? Well, because I don't have to commute anywhere, 
I probably get an extra hour sleep as everybody else, right? Mm -hmm. Which means that it's easier for me to get that seven or eight hours that you really need to stay well. Um, you know, there's the whole thing about, you know, not having the stress of being in traffic, right? And so I saved myself the, the potential of getting, you know, pissed off because somebody cut me off on the 101 freeway, right? Because uh, I'm not driving on the 101 freeway, right? Um, so, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think I think it's silly that there's all these companies like, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk wanting everybody to go back to the office. And I find the irony, especially with Musk doubling down. For, I, you know, I don't know if he's like wanting 100% of the people to return. I don't know the details. I'm just kind of presuming here so I could be completely wrong. But presuming he wants 100% of the people to return to the, to the job, I find like a little bit of irony in that because he's the one that wants to go to Mars. And it's like the most remote job ever. I'm like, <laughs> dude, you should be the most pro-remote guy, period, you know, and creating all sorts of technology to make it happen, you know, especially if you want to like start colonizing other planets. I mean, that's the most remote and idea, period. The guy who's, you know, the guy who's creating the metaverse, right? Like, you know, and, and Facebook is, is, is such a huge online platform, but yet, you know, somehow you can't do your meetings over Zoom for some reason. I, I don't get it. I don't yeah. get it. And, and again, it just, it goes back to the whole system, right? That we get so comfortable in what it is that we already know and what we, um, what we're used to that it's very hard for us to change. Yeah. And so we, you know, it takes a pandemic um, for it to become, for even working at home to become more normalized, right? And it shouldn't take a pandemic for that. It, it should be enough that you get these added benefits out of it. And, and you know, come on, if, if I'm able to sleep an extra hour, how much more productive am I gonna be? Right. If I'm able to, you know, take, you know, an hour and a half at lunch as opposed to just an hour to run to the nearest Chipotle and make myself a healthy lunch or go to the gym during, you know, down the street during lunch hour. Right. If I'm able to do that as opposed to, you know, what, what I would have to do if I were sitting at the office and, you know, ordering in every day, which makes me unhealthier, then, you know, um, how much more productive would I be? So it seems to me like you just get, it, it, that. that's why I don't get their approach, right? Like, okay, everybody back to the office. No, no, it's the opposite. Let's stay yeah. home. I right? just figured Let's like, even if there are no other benefits, just the benefit of not having to deal with social politics is already like yes. a win. For me, I'm like, dude, just even if I don't get any other benefits and somehow I still, I still have to do all those things, just the fact of not having to deal with social politics and the various personalities of like office work, for example, it is actually very energy draining to deal with that. Like you got to adjust your personality to communicate with this person. Now you got to adjust it slightly more to communicate with this type of person. Now this right. person came in a bit moody. moody. I got to uh, adjust for that. It, it's actually like it's it's daunting especially when you're dealing with deadlines and kids yeah. at home and whatever else you got going on in your life it all adds up man and people 
have just normalized that. Like we, like we mentioned, I'm like, it's not normal and it's not healthy for you to have all that burden on your like physical and your mental state 20. It's like 24 seven, because even when you're driving to work, you're thinking about it. When you're driving back from work, you're still thinking about it. You can't get good night's sleep because your mind is racing from what happened during that day. It's like, it affects right. you 24 hours of the day, seven days right. a week to some degree. Clear, to be clear, a lot of that doesn't go away just because you're working from home, True. right? But again, it's, it's a matter of percentages, right? It's, it's like everything else, even, even with the cancer discussion, right? All of those things, it, it really is, it really does come down to percentages. You know, when we were talking about cancer, it's how, how stressed are you? How much focus do you put on, on that stress? How much do you worry? And if you can minimize worry, does that minimize your susceptibility of getting unwell, right? Same thing with this, right? It's if I can get an extra hour of sleep and that makes me X percent healthier and more able to deal with the politics and things like that. And, and then I get an extra little percent here because I'm not having to deal with the water cooler po politics, right? Then, you know, then we're moving in the right direction. I, I, I just don't understand, you know, and it, uh, God, I mean, there's so many, you know, have, I've owned businesses before. I know how much it costs to, you know, rent space. Yeah, and, I was just going to yeah. mention that too. I'm like these oh, huge God. buildings, man. I mean, yeah, um, I did train, it, I'm not going to mention it, which company, but I did train like um, an executive from like a, uh, a popular car brand. And this was mm -hmm. even before COVID. And he was already initiating a lot of steps to get people that could work remote, just go work remote. And they kind of subleased the space in the office to other companies, you know, and dramatically decreased their expenses by simply doing that or just downsized to like a smaller office. And he was like all about it. But you kind of rarely, especially that was like 2018. It was way before. He was like, I feel like way ahead. of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my company's the same way. It's um, uh, we're a solar platform as opposed to a solar company. Um, so there's, I think, what easily seven thousand of us in the company, and we don't ha we don't have an office anywhere. There's no office, you know. So I mean, it can be. It, it just goes to show it can be done, right? Um, and you know, imagine, imagine if you had to you know, have an office for 7,000 people. I mean, what would that cost? And, and then you're just sort of adding on to the stress of everybody else and, you know, com contributing to the, the, the overall problems. Uh, I, you know, I really believe. So I love it. It's not a belief. It's like a fact. It's it like, is. first of all, you're not doing right. any work when you're driving to work. Right. Uh, like you get to work, you chit chat for like 30, 40 minutes or get your coffee that no work is being accomplished there. Then yeah. it's like you get two good hours in and it's lunch. And then you yeah. come back from lunch, you chit chat again. It takes you like an hour to get back into the flow of things. You get a good two hours in, you go home. And once again, you're not doing any work when you're driving home and stuck in traffic and pissed off that you're stuck in traffic and not having more free time to yourself. And then when you go out to lunch, you get shit food. And yeah, there's that aspect too. So it's your, you know, disaster. Yeah. Yeah. But I always say sick people can't make healthy decisions or they wouldn't be sick. And I feel like a lot of management is just not health. 
they're they're basically 99 percent of them aren't health conscious they're like pretty much a disaster like mentally and physically for the most part just being right. held up by like a myriad of pharmaceutical drugs and bad diets and alcohol on the weekend. Well, well, that, that, that goes to community, right? Because, you know, if, if, if sick people can't make healthy decisions, then um, it takes help from other people, right? Whether that be your work, your boss, your family, your friends or whatever. And that's another thing where we sort of fall short um, because we don't, you know, I don't know if we feel like it's none of our business or whatever, but we, we don't, we don't generally go to our, you know, uh, go to our friends and family and say, Hey, you know, I, I see you're not getting enough sleep. <laughs> you know, how can I help you to change that? Right. Um, or, you know, offer solutions that potentially could help. And, you know, maybe we need a little bit more of that too. Yeah. Well, yeah. Rob, thanks for thanks for being a guest. If there are any other topics you want to touch on, I'm happy to kind of yep. explore. But I think you did a good rundown. And especially like I feel like a good rundown of what you can do to just prevent the issue from arising to begin right. with. And yeah. I know a lot of people are going to listen to it. And just like you mentioned before in the, in uh, earlier in the interview, and they're going to get it intellectually. It's not that complicated to understand intellectually. But right. that... Talking does nothing. It's doing the work every day. Doing that and actually making it happen is what gives the results. You know, like uh, the old saying, it's knowledge isn't power. Like applied knowledge is power. Right. That's where anyone can be a good coffee shop talk, you know, coffee shop talk guy. But very few people can do that. So I love that. Well, and and again, you know, it's the, the thing I would sort of leave you with is that if you can't get there yourself, right? If you can't make those leaps on your own, you've, you've got to figure out a way to ask for help, right? Yeah. So whether that's hiring a fitness trainer or, you know, even just talking to your best friend, right? And saying, this is what's going on and I need help, right? Again, another thing we don't do well <laughs> in this country. People are too proud and, you know, uh, asking for help is just not, you know, I, I personally loved hiring mentors throughout my life, too. They fast. If you yeah. find the right one, they fast track your success in whatever you're trying to get good at. Like well, it'll take you 10 or 15 years of intense study to accomplish what you can do in just like six, 12 months with their help. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, and to be fair, you know, I don't think people have as much trouble finding like professional mentors, you know, that's fine. People will ask for that kind of help. Um, but when it comes to health issues, for example, or wellness or whatever, and, you know, people are, oh, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm yeah. doing. I know what I'm doing with. You my- can't even fix your car. And they're like, well, I can't fix my car. So I'm going to take it to a mechanic because I don't know what I'm doing. But all of a sudden with the human body and mind, that's far uh, more complicated than a freaking automobile. Oh, right. all of a sudden I know what I'm doing and I'm doing yeah. well. Well, I actually, if they knew what they were doing, why are nine out of 10 American adults metabolically unhealthy? Okay, right. well, because they don't know what they're doing. End of story. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So the more we can sort of, you know, get to that paradigm where, you know, people are are looking out for themselves, looking out for number one, taking care of themselves, and asking for help when they need it um, to kind of push past that cognitive dissonance that we talked about, 
everybody's better off. Yeah. I think, you know, even systematically, even though, you know, overall. So. Well, what's the best piece of advice you would give, um, let's say yourself 10 years ago, that's working out and being quote unquote healthy. And you're telling them you got to change these things, man, or this is what's going to happen. Um, because I know at one point I was also like, I considered myself a very, um, fit looking sick person. Right. I went to the gym and I worked out and I actually looked very fit on the outside, but inside, you know, as when I was working six days a week and just not really living true to, to my core values and interests, I just felt always anxious, not getting the best sleep and, um, always rushed. And honestly, like I mentioned, I didn't even develop like serious health problems, but even those minor red flags were enough to be like, this is going to go down a bad path if I continue this for a very long time, you know? I, I would tell myself, I would tell my 10 year ago self, the biggest advice I would give him is I would say, you need to put just as much emphasis and focus on your mental health as you do your physical health, right? So all this time that you're spending in the gym, all this time that you're spending with trainers, all this time you're spending, you know, counting calories and macros and everything else. What are you doing to make sure your stress is minimized, to make sure that you're happy, content, right? Are you meditating every day? Are you looking for ways to, you know, keep yourself and keep your, you know, their mental well-being where it needs to be, whether that's a, a daily spiritual practice or, you know, whatever, whatever people will use, whatever method you have, it, you know, could even be your religion, right? Whatever it is, but are you, are you putting as much focus and emphasis on that? is what you are on the outside. So even what you were just saying, Eugene, about, um, you know, you feeling, you know, looking good on the outside, but being a sick person on the inside. I mean, that is, that's to me exactly an example of what I'm talking about, right? Because what, what it says is maybe you weren't putting the amount of emphasis that you needed to change the dynamics of the situation which cause you to get less sleep, mm -hmm. cause you to be stressed, which cause you to be unwell inside. And that's the thing that I know I miss, 100% I miss the target on that, 100%. Mm -hmm. yeah. And if I could change anything, that's what I would do. I would go back and I would make sure um, that, you know, that I sort of had that, like, you know, that almost kind of like an attitude adjustment, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and I think that would have changed everything, right? Maybe I wouldn't have ended up with him if I yeah. had a... Cool. Well, um, honestly, thank you for coming on uh, the podcast. You're my first attempt at this because like I mentioned, it's usually me doing like a solo cast and just kind of talking about a random topic or interviewing a past client about their experience. So this yeah. is actually like really cool and I enjoyed... Uh, hearing your story and, you know, studying cancer has always been an interest of mine. I always say like, oh, you know, I'm going to put more effort into it. I might put a little bit more effort into it uh, in the new year, just because it's just, it's so common. It's tough, like to run into, uh, you know, with 50% of Americans developing cancer in their lifetime now. Like yeah. I've had a few people 
in, in my close circle that have unfortunately passed away from it. And you would have never thought growing up with them, you know, that's going to happen. You just like never think that, you know what I mean? And, yeah. Um, but at the, at the end of the day, I, I think it's also important to, to, to mention that, you know, cancer isn't the death sentence it used to be, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I hope I'm living proof of that, right? That, you know, you can, um, you can come away even better than you were before, right? If you make the right decisions, if you go through it with the right attitude. And, um, you know, and, and so, you know, as much as cancer does, you know, and will continue to affect people, um, as long as we're making the right choices for ourselves, it, 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 it might not even end up being as big of an issue as you think it would. Yeah, cool. You know? But small caveat, that doesn't mean people can still live like a dumbass because they're going to have no, some scapegoat to help them like 20 years from now when they do get cancer. So let's just make that clear. Okay. Yeah. Like the best thing you can do for yourself is just stop being a dummy. Stop, you know, hurting yourself and, and living a life of, of pathology and just normalizing it at the end yeah. of the day. For sure. It's all true. <laughs> it's, so. it's all the truth. Right. And it, again, it's just about coming um, to the right spot in your thinking and, um, and I think if you can do that, you're going to live a happy, healthy life for a long time. Cool. Okay. Well, thank you again. And, and for everyone that jumped on, um, it was good to see you guys and have a good, have a good weekend, everyone. You too. Okay. Thanks All again. Right. Thank you. Good luck. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you've ever had trouble losing weight or you've lost weight, but still didn't have the ideal body or health you're aiming for, please feel free to reach out anytime and book an assessment. Eugene will work with you to cover your goals in detail, see what's holding you back, and go from there. In the meantime, feel free to check out the countless testimonials on Eugene's website in the link below. In the testimonial section you'll notice everyone has various backgrounds, are of all different ages, and all have had different challenges in their life, but they all have one thing in common, they were all able to find their health, and achieve their ideal body. You're also welcome to add yourself to the Facebook group in the link below. There you'll have access to the live videos that Eugene does weekly on Sundays and other helpful content. Thank you again for tuning in.